Blog Talk Radio. of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening. My beautiful co-host this evening is Dr. Junianzi. She's on with me, and um, we've got some ideas on conversations tonight, unless somebody wants to call in and suggest something else. So um, tonight we are on stand number 3213, and it's considered a special topic night. We don't have a specific guest that's on, so um, those who want to call in will form a panel where we can discuss and kind of be critical of all the NASCA tools and programs, services, and call in to participate or to suggest a topic. So you can call the guest call-in number, which is 646 595 2118, and um, we'd love to have you come on and just be a part of our panel tonight, and if you have a, a topic you'd like to suggest, then we will definitely take that topic as well. So um, we have a single purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect and we do so with only two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone who's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can find all of that information again on NASCA.org. So that is N-A-S-C-A.org. And then if there's a specific night that you wanted to hear the speaker or, you know, a special guest on 
or a topic that we've had, you can go into scan number and type that in. And tonight, again, it's number 3213. And you can access any of our shows there on NASCA.org. So, um, again, if you want to be part of our panel, call in. That's 646-595-2118. And this evening, since we don't have a special guest, we thought that maybe we would bring up the topic of you know, talking to kids and conversations with, like, we thought maybe we'd start with three to five-year-olds and um, kind of start there, and then we could go into the older ages, get into six to eight-year-olds, and then kind of go from there and just see if anybody else wants to be a part of that. So. Dr. Nancy, are you there? <laughs> yes. Good evening. Good evening. Yes. We have a caller coming in. We have a caller coming in, so I'm just going to check on them, and I'll be right back. It's still up. We could just bring them on. Okay. I'll just put them in. Okay. So. All righty. Um, so Hello, ladies. Good evening. Hi, fellas. Hey, fella. How are you? <laughs> It's my birthday tomorrow. Well, on the 29th. When's your birthday? Happy birthday. 29th. Tomorrow. Yay. Happy birthday. birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. What are you going to do for your birthday? Um, I'm going to go out to eat with my friends. Are you? Good. Awesome. Anything else? You guys like to go to the movies? Um, no. Yeah. Oh, good. Fun. Do you have the place picked out that you want to go? Madrano's. Oh, I've never heard of that. It must be outside you. (laughs) Let's not be in this side of this area of the country. Is it Italian? Mexican. Oh, Mexican. Oh, okay. I like good Mexican food, too. What's your favorite dish? What do you get most of the time? Fish tacos. Oh. Yeah. I had not ever tried those until last year. That was the first time I tried fish tacos in Arkansas, and I've never had them since. But I liked it. So that sounds good. Sounds yummy. Well, happy birthday. We're so glad that you're you're here and that we get to say happy birthday to you. Thank you. Did you have any specific topic that you wanted to discuss, Philip, when you called in or not? Um, let me think about it. I might come up with something. Please. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, you know, we're going to kind of start the conversation maybe with, we were talking about talking to kids, talking to younger kids. So maybe we'll just start with that conversation. And then if you have something else you want to bring up when you're ready, then let us know. Do you want us to put you on mute or you want to stay online with us? Well, you I have to leave in like 10 minutes, but I'll stay talking. Oh, do you? Okay. Okay, yeah, we'll just leave you on with us. Okay, Dr. Nancy, you were going to say something a little bit ago. <laughs> what were you going to 
share. I forgot. I was going to say, I was so excited to hear <laughs> Philip coming up tomorrow. I love um, yeah. celebrating people's birthdays. I think it's amazing every year that we get to celebrate a new year <clears throat> of life, of the gift of life. So um, that was uh, what my focus became. But um, I, I, I think this is a great topic to talk about tonight, nevertheless, because when it comes to younger children, I know myself, uh, I had a hard time talking about this topic with my children because I felt at one point, and, and some people do, I felt that if I introduced the conversation, I would be introducing sinister thoughts and ideas in their innocent mind, and I just wanted them to enjoy their childhood, something that I didn't really get to do, have that that innocence and that childhood beautiful beautiful peace um, season. I wanted them to just enjoy it and live in that moment. But, you know, as we're growing and learning, it's not so much about um, disturbing that peace more than helping to teach them how to protect themselves from these predators. Because these predators love children that are quiet and don't know anything and don't know how to defend themselves or don't know that it is bad. Um, because when you first introduce um, these perverted acts or whether you're showing them a dirty magazine or, you know, showing them your, uh, the whoever's showing them body parts or whatever or a movie um, and introducing these thoughts and images to them, you know, the, the children are, again, they're innocent and um Sometimes they can think that it's normal behavior, you know, or they can feel guilty and now they, they have to keep this secret and the lions with the abuser who has gained their trust because many of the times the abuser is a family member. And so to avoid all that, we've learned and we know more as we become educated of the importance of having these conversations with children as early as possible you know, calling body parts by their names and teaching them what they are. And so does somebody touch your vagina? Does somebody touch your rectum? Does someone touch your breast? And, um, you know, for me, again, it was kind of hard because I was used to saying, did somebody touch your pee-pee? I was used to just saying little baby words. Um, And so educating ourselves, educating our community on how to have these conversations and make it not an uncomfortable thing. I think that the more we talk about it, the more we get educated, and the more we learn different techniques, we'll figure out what technique will work best for our family um, and how to introduce it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think this is a great topic. Good job picking this topic for tonight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way. When Mike, I was raising my kids, I didn't feel that I had the tools to talk to them about that, but I also didn't know where to find those tools either. There wasn't, I don't even think at that time, my oldest daughter was 30, will be 36 this year, 37, 37 this year. And um, I don't think there was a whole lot on that, especially when it came to talking to your kids. I think that we were still in that mind frame of 
you know, if you tell them to tell you if something happens, then they will. And um, as we've talked about many times on here as well, is a lot of times, and especially like a three-year-old, would not understand what was happening in a way that they could articulate it enough to explain to you unless they are very well versed in like the you know the names of the body parts and and that you know not only is it if somebody touches you but it's like if somebody touches you in your vagina area or if somebody touches you you know like your breast area or your penis i mean being that specific because so um literal and so you've got to be able to you know of course keep it in in ways that they understand, but um, to talk about the body parts from an early age, like Dr. Nancy was saying in the beginning, because they they pick up on so much. I mean, kids are so smart. <laughs> I've got a, I mean, I've got grandbabies from seven months to oh, almost 12 years old, which is, oh my gosh, ridiculous. But, um, and it always amazes me every single time that that one of my daughters has a baby and just how much they learn in that first year even of life. And they are learning in that first year what is safe and what isn't safe. Unfortunately, I my <laughs> I feel really bad about this. My grandson fell off the chair today when we were outside and so his face it, you know, it was all scratched up, but he was, um, I was, I, I had just kind of turned to the side, and he was sitting in a chair by himself, and I, you know, had my hand kind of right there, and I pushed him all the way back, and I was like, well, he can't, you know, even if he's being forward, he wouldn't fall, but he figured out how to do that. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, they're so, you know, he probably won't do that again anytime real soon, because they learn things so quickly, and, um, if we're teaching them about their private parts, like we're like we're saying, I guess like I could get back to that subject. Then um, they're going to pick right up on it. It's not going to be anything to them. It's probably more uncomfortable for you to to start that conversation than it is for them. And then um, Dr. Nancy was bringing up at this point that I I um, always now I have body safety books on my my grandkids' bookshelf. And so they are available to them when they come over at any time that they want to move. And, you know, my oldest granddaughter, for sure, was the one that was really very interested in knowing about her body and how it's looking. And, and that made me feel good as a grandparent to know that I am educating her in a way that she can keep herself safe. So, yeah. And let's. Do you have anything to say about this topic? Would you like to chime in at all? You don't have little kids. No, I don't have kids yet. <laughs> but I want to have kids. Do you? Yeah. want to have them some. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a great thing to kind of learn ahead of time that because Dr. Nancy and I are both saying, you know, we didn't have that ability to even find that out or how to find it out. And I'm not even sure that I would have been in a place 
at the time, especially at the time that I had my first daughter at 18, 19, I was 19 when she was finally born, but um, I, I didn't, I probably wasn't aware enough of what was going on with me. And I think age brings that on, for sure. <laughs> yeah, any other thoughts, anybody? I think it's good that, um, you know, even like um, how Philip just said that he doesn't have any children yet, you know. Um, so he does want uh, to have a family at some point. And I think that it's amazing and it's wonderful that he has this ability to be able to be in this room and learn things that we didn't even know about or I sure didn't know about before I had children. Um this is the era of education and talking and communication and learning. And, you know, like how do we open up those conversations comfortably? How do we, um, you know, what words should we use? What choice of words? And even if we don't remember every single thing, we'll most likely be able to remember something from this conversation and, you know, it may be uh, a conversation that we may have to share with someone else who has children or who may be concerned about the safety of their children or, like, having the conversation of how do you introduce the conversation to your children. So I think this, um, I think this is going to be great, a great, great, great topic to address now. Yeah, and I, you know, as, as I was saying, I think um, – one of the main ways that I I know of now that I've been doing this work for a while is to have body safety books because that really does yeah. open that conversation. Uh, also, as Dr. Nancy was saying, you know, talk about yeah. of course their main what what it is their vagina, their penis, their butt off. If you want to say butt off, you can say that. <laughs> if you want, you say. But, but, um, and then also talk about the boundaries around those private parts. So you've got to also say it's not okay for someone to touch, for you to touch their private parts or for anyone else to touch your private parts. So um, you can also and should also include the mouth because that is used. It can be used as a sexual thing as well. So, you know, make sure that they understand that as well. Um, you can talk to your preschool about the differences between between comfortable and uncomfortable touch, which is huge. I think a lot of times we want to, um, you know, we don't want to name, like you were just saying, we don't want to name what it is because we're afraid that um, they might have something. But if they're already feeling uncomfortable around a certain person, then mm. they'll be able to understand what, you know, what that feeling is like. Even And I think even at three years old, I mean, I think they know it. Well, my seven-month-old grandson, he, there are some people he'll look at and just cry at, and you just wonder why, you know, because he's such a friendly, outgoing kid most of the time. But sometimes he just doesn't want anything to do with somebody. I think that's a good thing to listen to. 
action. I think animals and kids are a good detector of a lot of times good and bad people. But we don't listen to them. We don't listen to their instincts. And we also don't tell them to, a lot of times, we don't tell them to pay attention to their instincts either. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we don't. I mean, gosh, how many times do we stuff something down and say, no, it can't be that because of this and this. You know, it can't be like that. I know that. Yeah. It can't be like that because they go to church. You know, they're Christians. They can't do that. They wouldn't do that. Yeah, what are your thoughts? So really, an understanding that it can happen at any time, at any place with with anyone. And like you said, and, and a lot of times you just have so much trust in an uncle or an aunt or, you know, whatever have you, that you just, you know, there's just no way. There's no way that could happen. You're so right. But guess what? There is a way that that could happen. It could happen. And unfortunately, the the rates of it happening with someone who's closer to you and who you never expected to happen are pretty high. Pretty high, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. what do we have for some of these um, age groups? So we have, uh, what is it, zero to... What should I see? We have so zero to. What do you? I think I brought up three to five, and mm-hmm. we didn't really do zero to eight. But I mean, talking just talking to kids from the time that they're born about their body. So I remember specifically when um, my granddaughter, well, not my granddaughter, but my granddaughter's mom had her son. And, um, you know, my granddaughter was five at the time when her brother was born. And, you know, she had never really seen a boy before because she hadn't been around. She hadn't had any siblings. And so she was curious. And I just tried to make it very normal, which it is, to change a baby's diaper. But also the fact that um, I would do things like, okay, I have to, you know, wipe brother's butt or I have to wipe brother's penis because he got poop on his penis. And so I would use those very specific phrases and words for her so that she could understand. And we talked a little bit about, you know, how it was different. Bye, Philip. Have a good night. We missed you. <laughs> um, Philip just left us. But... If anybody would love to call in, we'd love to have you be a part of this conversation. And if not, Dr. Nancy and I will just keep chatting. But um, the guest call in number again is 646-595-2118. And you can join in on this conversation or even suggest another one. We're just kind of still getting started here. So um, did you have, are you going to say anything, Dr. Nancy? Yeah. I, again, like I said, the the conversation can be a little difficult, and that's why um, it's good to join in these panels and have, and listen in, even if you don't have anything you want to say because you don't know what to say, still get to listen in because 
like I said, that topic can be a really sensitive topic. If you've been through sexual abuse or you know that it's happened in your family or if you've never experienced it, um, you know, either way, it can be a very uncomfortable topic. I personally experienced it, and at first I had a hard time trying to figure out how to have these conversations with my children um, and make sure that they were aware of this type of behaviors, abuse from strangers or family members. And so, and, and I always let them know that they can always speak to me, no matter how bad it is, no matter how bad they think it is, they can always come to me. And if they, I, I used to always tell them, just make sure you prepare me before you tell me. Um, if it's something really bad that you did, I would always tell my kids, make sure you prepare me and just say, hey, Mom, I really got to talk to you about something. You know, um, you know, I don't want you to get upset or, you know, very serious. Hear me. If you think, if you're thinking that I'm going to be like, da 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 right away so that I'm just <laughs> mentally prepared to know that my job at that moment is to support them and to listen and to remind, remind myself, remember to, to make it a safe space so that they will come to me again. Um, and not make it like, a, oh, I should have never said anything because, you know, she went off. And um, and so, you know, those are just little things, you know, that um, those little things that we can uh, do to educate ourselves. Because, again, sitting in the rooms that are um, they're, they're teaching us how to have these conversations. And... Um, and sit in the room and just figuring out how to create the safe space to have the conversations, you know, um, when they do come to us. Because when the kids come to us, we have to first believe them. Um, if we act like we don't believe them, automatically people start to do what? They, they start to shut down. And so, um, and, and they just regret even opening their mouth and saying anything, Um and we've heard these stories again and again many times from survivors of abuse uh, who said they told a parent or a loved one and they didn't believe them. What happens? You shut down. Um, like, I, I, I mean, my mom believed me, but the, the family members from that side of the family, they didn't believe me. Um, or they had a hard time because he, he never denied it. Um, but they just were angry that I even told uh, I don't think that they didn't believe it because they got to the point, like I said, he never denied it. But um, but they they definitely um, were upset that I even opened my mouth. And I was five years old. And carrying that, that feeling of you should have shut up, you should never said anything, you're a troublemaker for opening your mouth and talking about the abuse, what, you know, what happens in families, you don't talk there, talk about those things. Uh, even though I, I shared it with my mom and just kept it in the family to bring awareness because, you know, this family member still had access to little cousins and people who, uh, and siblings and, and people who um, didn't know, you know. So I, I just couldn't personally live with not speaking about it, knowing it was right there, so close to another child. Um, as a child. But anyways, I'm saying all that to say that those are very heavy burdens that we carried as children. 
when we talk about our abuse. And, you know, it's severe, severely heavy burdens to carry for children. And um, and so learning how to how to be how to react different and how to um, create that safe space so that so that um, the new children coming up can feel safe coming forward and, and talking to us about what they're dealing with because unfortunately we have small children as young as five years old taking their lives by suicide. They've been through abuse. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to take, how to deal with it, and they, they don't want to be around. They feel bad. They feel dirty. They feel like, you know, now they're entangled in a lie, and they're dealing with a whole bunch of emotions that they don't know how to um, how to deal with. So we teach them from the beginning that it's okay to tell. You know, you can always come to me. Anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If somebody touches you inappropriately, you know, we talked about the areas that they shouldn't be even anywhere near. If anybody goes goes there, you can always come to me and talk to me. Or if somebody makes you feel uncomfortable, like they're crossing those boundaries, the safe boundaries, and, you know, we'll talk about some of those those boundaries um, and how to set those boundaries. But, you know, it's okay to come to me and just really get it in their mind that you are that safe space. Because many times, some some kids don't have that safe space at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Okay. What was that? Sounded like somebody else was on there for just a second. <laughs> no, that was me. That unfortunately. Oh, it's, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Some yeah. don't have that safe space, unfortunately. And even though we're talking about it today, as much as we're talking about it today, there are still kids who don't have access to social media, the Internet. They're living in a household being abused, and they don't know. They don't have access to information, how to outcry, how to reach out for help. They're being kept that way on purpose. They're being abused. I'm those stories. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it, it starts with the adults because the kids a lot of times just don't even realize what's happening, what's going on, and um, and can't realize it, especially if it's, like, generational trauma. I mean, it can go years back. And somebody has to really want to do the work because it's not easy. It's not easy. That's why one of my goals is to prevent it. <laughs> We're on, we want to do the prevention thing so that adults don't have to hmm. heal from that already. But we've got a long way to go. I mean, I think it's come a long way as far as people talking about it and you know, kind of being there for each other and um, recognizing that a lot of times the kids won't, aren't lying, that they are telling the truth. You know, there may, there are instances where um, people will, will lie and say that something happened. I mean, that can happen. Yeah. But I think the latest statistic is like 5%, like less than 5%. 
of the children mm-hmm. that tell that something is going on or lying. And um, mm-hmm. it could even be that, like, you see where they're actually different in one place, and so you're starting to think, well, maybe there's something going on there. And it's not. They're just acting out at that place because they were abused someplace else. And um, that's why it's so important, gosh, for, like, the paras and teacher's assistants to be aware of what's happening because I've heard some pretty hard stories as well from some of my friends who work with schools or teachers or paras. Um, but I, I just think the paras specifically, and, and probably depending on the, the district and how big the county is or whatever, um, it would depend on if you have somebody that it takes them all outside. You know, we do. But um, so the para is the one where the, the teacher assistant is the one that takes them outside and takes them to, to lunch and then takes them to play lunch and stuff. So, um they need to be very well aware of signs that of things that are going on, and also your own instincts, what possibly could be happening, and um, because you never know. And then also one of the other big things that I teach is watching out for hiding areas that could be within your facility. A child can hide, or two children can hide. And, um, you know, paying attention to those areas then specifically on Sunday morning or vacation Bible school week or, you know, whenever those really, really busy times come about, maybe assign somebody um, that, you know, a certain area and say, I just need you to pay attention to this area and make sure that nothing's going on, you know, nothing funny is going on anywhere. And, um, and yeah, that way everybody's safe. And you're also protecting yourself too from being in trouble if something happens to somebody's kid. Right. The other so, the other thing that we talked. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say so. Um, definitely, I think it's just it's important for them to have these conversations at school. Um, maybe bring in an expert, a professional. I know that you do some of these programs at some of the schools. And, um, you know, that would be helpful, teaching the parents um, at school how to have these conversations. If they would like to join, you know, now we have access to virtual. Um, A lot of parents are really busy. They can't make it but they can click in maybe for a few minutes and just get the resources, get the information. So um, that would be great. Yeah. So when they send it on the newsletters to um, the parents, they're aware that there's support to help parents have these conversations because unfortunately I had um, a child say that to me tonight. Well, um, I had a meeting and one of the people in the meeting uh, gave me a report on one of the uh, children saying that, they reported they were um, abused, but nobody heard about it. The mother didn't hear about it. Nobody heard about it in the past. So it was like news to her and then news to myself. 
And so, um, you know, understanding that, um, you know, I know sometimes some kids make stuff up, but understanding that some kids really just don't feel sin about it. And they can keep that big secret even from their own parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but also, no, no, you're going to say something. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. No, yeah. Um, Oh, it says here that, you know, realize most importantly that when you tell them something, it's not a one and done with children. You need to keep reminding them of this. So if you're, you know, telling them these boundaries, make sure that you're telling them these boundaries, you know, every couple days or every, you know, week or so, so that they have a habit of hearing that and know exactly what they're supposed to do if they get put in some kind of situation. Make sure you're listening to them because kids also know that. They pick up on the whole everyone's on their phone phase or tablets. All the kids have tablets. (laughs) Everyone's on that. Um... Let's see. So do you have anything else to say about um, five-year-olds? Oh, sorry, I was muted. I was talking. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, yeah, when um, when I was looking at some of the different age uh, groups, some of the guides, one was just saying um, from zero to five years old. And I guess, you know, some kids, they just, you can have the conversation depending on how, how, um, how, how their understanding is. You know, some kids, they're just like super duper verbal and vocal and they just understand things. You know, they, they have a, a different way of understanding things. So, it says here, just, you know, keeping the conversation short and keeping it as simple as possible, you know what I mean, with toddlers and young children. Um, we have to just focus on teaching them the basic personal safety rules, the correct names, as we spoke about earlier, the correct names for the body parts and um, how to use, I'm sorry, how to refuse unwanted touches. So, you know, giving them that power, that strength to be able to say no, right, and no, you can't. Stop. No. Um, so a bigger person should never touch your private parts. That right there is just a short point. A bigger person should never, even though even a little person like you shouldn't do it either, but, you know, giving them just that sense of a safe adult, what a safe adult is, right? Um, and then letting them know, giving them that power and letting them know, like, hey, you can always say no or stop. If you don't like something, you can always say no or stop. And giving them that power. Nobody's ever taught me that. I didn't know you could say no and stop. I just thought, you know, that's an adult and they have that right, right? Um, and then never. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. 
what you say? I'm sorry. I just said, yeah, we always tell them to obey other people. And so mm-hmm. letting that them know right. they know or not. I don't. And then, you know, never never keep in secret, you know, never keep secrets about touching. If somebody's touching you, don't keep the secret, you know, Um, and and empower them to know that they don't have to keep that type of secret. Don't keep that secret. I kept the secret, and I felt so guilty telling this secret, but um, just let them know it's okay not to keep that type of secret at all. Uh, And then the only saved secrets are those that eventually can be shared, like birthday surprises, you know, like letting them understand the difference between good secrets and bad secrets, okay? There are good secrets, like, okay, we're doing a birthday surprise. Yay, it's going to be, you know, such exciting surprises. But those bad ones, those, you know, bad ones that have that demonic, (laughs) um, you know, thing in the background of it that's like you know you know is wrong in your heart and it's just it's hiding and it's just and it's just you know abusive um teaching them the difference between those two right or at least so basically um you know tell them that a bigger person never says their private parts you have the power and the right to always say no or stop and then teaching them about safe secrets and you know that it's it's uh that you never have to keep a, a secret about anyone touching you at all. And even to the point of, you know, if anybody does ask you to keep a secret, then you should tell. Because nobody should be asking you, an adult should not be asking you to keep a secret. And um, some people, yeah, some people will even say, we just don't use secrets in our house at all. We don't use the word secret. So, you know, the only word that we use is surprises. So there's surprises, and surprises make people happy. But secrets can make people upset or unhappy, and so we don't want to use that. So that's another option, and you don't have to, you know, because you could use safe secrets like Dr. Nancy's saying, too. Both of them work. So really it was just kind of trying to figure out what's good for your family because everybody is different. All families are different. And how they raise right. their children. That's why it's important that we attend these conversations because there's always some tools that will work for your family. You know, maybe not everything. You might be like, hmm, but some things you'll be like, oh, wow, I can try. I'm going to try that. You'll, you'll find something that will help you grow. Every time. So just keep on educating yourself. Keep on educating yourself. And you're always going to hear something different that you may be able to take out of that meeting, at least one thing. Right. And then um, also make boundaries really clear. Like you could even say, we were talking a little bit about what parts are private, but you could even just say your whole body is private. And if you don't want to be touched, then you don't have to be touched. You know, nobody even has to touch your arm. So it's not even just always about the private part that they get, you know, letting, giving them the power to know that they can say no to any touch. And, again, I seem to be talking a lot about my seven-month-old grandson today, but 
um, he is very vocal, even at seven months old. If he doesn't like something, he'll let you know. <laughs> He's very much got an opinion these days. And so, um, yeah, they oh. learn so early. <laughs> yeah, he's cute. His brother will come up and, like, try and kiss him or something. He'll be like, go away, you know, <laughs> like they do. They're like, leave me alone. Um, and I think they learn that faster when they have siblings, you know, of course. Because right. Because siblings are fucking. <laughs> yeah. And when they have but my yeah. these kids are so advanced. Yeah, no, I'm saying when they have older siblings, they grow up, they just come out knowing stuff. They come out more advanced, you know. Yeah, my daughter just said today they have. So she married a man that already had a son. And so their um, oldest is almost, it's the one that's almost 12. And he, um, they had him for a full month because basically his mom had him for a full month. And so then it was their turn. And my daughter was like, I just am so amazed what comes out of three-year-old's mouth when the 11-year-old is around. <laughs> you know, it sounds, you know, it, it, he sounds just like an 11-year-old, but he's only three because they pick up everything. They, you know, and especially if it's an older child. When it's an older child, they want to be just like them. And so, you know, they, they pay attention everything that they do and that they say and then they turn it around and he'll use it on his little brother so it kind of goes down the line <laughs> Mhm. they sure do <laughs> the poor baby of the family always gets there <laughs> he's so smart <laughs> yeah yeah they, hey, yeah, they learned it oh, oh. He gets it from his grandma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm learning. That's, I'm learning. Yes. So, um, if I could just suggest one thing to, to a young mom, and that would be to always use your voice. Don't you know, make your voice lower and try and conform to whatever your new husband wants you to conform to because that's the making of divorce. Um, <laughs> you've got to be able to be your own person. We're talking about kids today. So, um, <laughs> do you have anything but else you're you right. wanted to say about this? Yeah, I was going to say, but you're so right. Never dim your light or your voice because guess what? They're watching. You're so right. I mean, that that is for the little ones. You know, they get their, yeah. they learn from us. Everything they learn from us. They get their power, their empowerment from us. If we're like scary and weak and da-da-da and, you know, meek and too, too meek. Don't get me wrong. Meek is good um, as, a hum, as a humble person. But, humble. Um, yeah, as a humble person. But, you know, letting them see you. Stand enough for yourself uh, in times when somebody's trying to be abusive or take advantage or disrespectful. Um, I think it's important for them to see that. They need to see that. Them seeing that empowers them. It helps them to become strong in adults and set boundaries, tell boundaries. Um, 
And so, you know, if, if, if for example, if a child sees the, the parent being hit and abused, many times, and statistics show this, unfortunately, the child may enter into those type of unhealthy relationships because they believe that that's healthy and or normal because that's what they saw. So as you're becoming more vocal and as you're setting boundaries now, as, as we're learning, right, they're watching. They're watching. And so, you know, us being strong, help them. So it's all together. They need us to empower them. So he's watching his, his grandma. So yeah, he's seven months and he's already vocal because he got you at your highest, one of your highest, because you're not even all the way completed. He's gotten you oh, no. at your highest level compared to back 20, 30 years ago at a high level of healing and recovery, even though we're not fully ever going to, you know, recovery is a full uh, hey. every day. I have to work on it every day. People who yeah. test me, try me, do stupidness yeah. that, that can make me <laughs> start cussing and get upset. And I'm like, you know what, let me just get away. Let me just remove myself. So I'm learning how to set my boundaries. I don't fight with people. I After a while, I just will remove myself. I will get away from you so that you don't ruin my character and or my name, or all the hard work, all the hard work, because yeah. I've been through such high levels of abuse that I don't have to tolerate abuse from just, just get, just, I will remove myself. That's where I'm at in my life. And so um, I teach my kids that, you know, one of my, one of my um, sons, he's quick to be like, I don't want to talk about that. He will cut you off, right? They, no, I, I don't want to talk about that. And and he'll do that if you're being abusive or if he knows that the conversation is going to lead him to get upset. He will say, I, I don't really, I don't want to talk about that right now. And, and no, nope, I don't want to talk about that topic. So learn your boundaries. You have to learn what works for you. So you don't jump out the closet with a hatchet and get yourself and catch a case. So they're watching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They do, and I feel like somehow, I'm not quite sure, and it, it, it could have just been the part of the healing that I had done was able to I empower my girls a lot more than I was ever felt empowered. And my girls stick up for themselves. I mean, especially my oldest one. <laughs> especially her. It doesn't have a problem sticking up for herself. But... um I, you know, and I never did, but I did always try, I was very, you know, conscious about trying to instill in them that they need to stand up for themselves. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I also was trying to make them understand that they need to, you know, not also do what I do and just not have a profession as kind of a backup. Because even if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, there's probably going to come a point when you're going to have to make some money. So just being aware that, especially this day and age, it's really hard to have just stay-at-home moms. Usually there has to be more than just one income. And um, so my one of my daughters to understand that, too, that, you know, they need to be an active part of the financial part of their relationship. And I think that, too, was the part that, that I didn't really 
do a whole lot. You know, I wasn't included in most of the financial aspects of our marriage, especially in the early years. And But I didn't really want to be. So that's, that was just the thinking that I had. I didn't care to be. I was happy to be, you know, doing the house stuff and taking care of the kids and he could make the money and take care of the bills. Very, very right. old-fashioned, thinking. <laughs> very, very old-fashioned. And it doesn't really work unless you don't ever want to have a voice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't realize at the time. I didn't think I ever cared. But, you know, I also, at the time that I got married and started having kids and I'd already had a young daughter, um, that's just all I wanted to do. And that was what I was determined to do. But I also saw on the other end, my mom was the breadwinner of the family. She was the one that brought home all the money. And I didn't want that. <laughs> I didn't want to have to do that. <laughs> I wanted him to do it. So I it, it worked out for me, you know, in that way. But it wasn't always healthy. I think that was um, another thing that they say on here is to talk to them about what adults, you know, talk to children about what adults they trust. So be, a, you know, very specific in the family. If there's somebody mm-hmm. specific in the family that you could feel that you could go talk to or if there's, you know, and then maybe even at school, is there somebody at school? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be the teacher. It could be the principal, maybe. They just have a really good friendship with the principal, and they can go in and talk to the principal. Um, and, and there are a lot of schools that are like that. Really open. So, you know, talk to your kids. If you have, a, like, a, a coach or an assistant coach or something, you know, when they're out doing their sports, who can they talk to if mom and dad aren't around? And I think it's very important to have those conversations. Who can they trust? Who do they feel that they can trust? Who are they feel safe with? Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you, even at six years old, who they feel safe with. Right. Yeah, sometimes we think kids are too young to... um, to understand or to have the conversation or to, but I think it's great that we're learning. It doesn't have to be as technical. It can still be a conversation that can be had and it could be just as simple as it's okay. You know, we don't, you know, it's, it's just the thought of how do you introduce this conversation? It could become so technical, but it doesn't have to. It could be just as simple as stop, no. I don't like that. That's it. Little by little. Yeah. Hmm. You're right, because even as, you know, a a younger child, they may not be able to quite verbalize at three exactly everything that they feel, but they could tell. They could be empowered to stop if they don't feel that. Mm -hmm. Safe um, we also talk about, you know, reviewing, like, safety and touching boundaries 
any time that your child is in a new situation, if they're going to a new school or if they're, you know, to a new sporting event or something like that, talk to them about, you know, all of those safety and boundaries. Boundaries. Mm-hmm. Or touching boundaries. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Um, because it'll feel very different if they're in a new atmosphere um, and they may not feel comfortable to talk to anybody. So if they don't you feel that, then maybe you need to stay in that space with them while they're doing whatever they're doing so that they feel safe enough, until they feel safe enough to um, feel like they can speak up for themselves to say we did too. And then mm-hmm. um, also done here to just talk, check in with them once in a while and um, and not only with your kids, but with your friends, with their friends, because you never know. Mm-hmm. And their friends might be really comfortable with you and want to share something with you. But And you can also just encourage them that you are a safe person and let them know that you're ready, you know, in there and that you will believe them if they, you know, something happens to it, that you will believe them and work it out figure out what you need to do from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, for kids that are a little older, like the six and eight, um, one thing that um, that I was uh, kind of, you know, reading on was the importance of being a little more specific, um, being more specific with the rules, and um, to continue to regularly remind the child about the safety, um, about these personal safety rules. Um, you know, we should let them know that they it should feel as normal as saying look both ways before crossing the street. Like, you know, it should feel that normal. Um, so saying, like, remember, um, no one should ever touch your private body parts except to keep you healthy, Right. So the only person really that should be down there is really the doc- the doctor, right? At their certain age, they're not changing a diaper, um, and so uh, that's the only time anyone really should be close to your private parts. Um, safe touches, making sure that um, that you make um, them understand that support and love, like you know when you're talking about hugs from a parent. Uh, and those those are good touches for you. Those are safe safe touches, and they're good for you. And then unsafe touches make you feel uncomfortable. And sometimes it might even hurt. It might even hurt. Uh, and so you know that that's not that's an unsafe touch. That's not a safe touch, right? And reminding them to pay attention to um, the different feelings in their body. Uh, so if you have that butterflies in your stomach or that sweaty palm or that really fast heartbeat, that might be a situation that's not okay. When you get those funny feelings in your stomach, that gut feeling, that, that you know, that's not a good feeling. You know when you're happy and you're safe, that's, that's not how that feels. So now that, you know, when they're a little bit bigger, you can go a little more, be more specific in that conversation and still you know, not going, like, all the way deep in it, but just enough for them to really, really understand. 
Yeah. Well, I see. Well, I guess my granddaughter. I guess you're about ten or eleven when you're in fifth grade. I guess because that's what my my two grandkids were in when they were in fifth grade. Um, so somewhere around there. But so by that point, they. Uh, oh gosh, I just lost it. <laughs> Something. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I lost with that, that specific thought. Maybe it'll come back to me. But one other thing I was going to talk about, when you were saying, um, you know, tell them about, or I, I one of us, or maybe we both said it, uh, in, in these situations, what they need to do and what is expected of them in these situations. And my, my 10-year-old granddaughter, um, oh, that's what I was going to say. They know sex ed in fifth grade. But Mm. at that point, I mean, it's not even about the touching so much. It's more about learning your body parts. And so I think a lot of times parents will, and I think I did too back back when my kids were growing up, thinking that that sex education class was covering this big, huge multiple stuff. I mean, even though I went and saw the curriculum, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. But um, they don't learn what's all that they need to learn in a sex ed class in fifth grade. And um, they need to know more than that before then. <laughs> they need to be talked to about it long before then. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, little, the story I was going to tell was my granddaughter and her friend last week um, are pretty – they're – much allowed to go probably more places in the neighborhood than I would have let my children go at fifth grade when they were in fifth grade. But because um, they'll go, you know, ride their bikes all through their neighborhood and to the park. And you know, I, I I know that that's what kids should be doing. And so I appreciate that she gets to do that, but I also worry a lot <laughs> about it. But um, there, I guess. Last week, there, where her and her friend were dropped off at the pool. They have a pool in their neighborhood, but it's being redone, so it's not done this summer. And so, one of the her friend's parents dropped them off over at the pool in my neighborhood, which is just—I mean, we're not even a mile away from each other. But um, and and Sophia, my daughter, my granddaughter, too, when the team What's over there in this pool too, Sophia. Oh, that's my granddaughter's name. Ha. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, so, yes. um, so they were dropped off. I guess that my granddaughter had, she she did have one of those kid watches that you can phone your parents on, you know, one of those emergency watches. But she had jumped in the pool with it and ruined it, and so it wasn't working. She also dropped it in the creek when we were at the park last week, too. So but um, so she didn't have her watch, and then her friend forgot her phone. And for some reason, and I just, I, I know that my kids would not have done this at this age, but for some reason, they decided they were going to leave the pool and walk over to Grandma's house. Because they knew they were, you know, she knew that they were in my neighborhood. But she caught lost, and she couldn't find it. 
then there was no way to get a hold of them. Their parent, one of their parents would go pick them up and they weren't there at the pool. And that, I mean, that would have just, oh my gosh, driven me crazy. I would have just freaked out that um, they had to stop and ask a stranger to use their phone because they didn't have anything. Now, then over the weekend, my granddaughter got her a phone. So she really did end up getting what she wanted by ruining her watch because she wanted a real phone. And, um, mm. but, you know, they, kids, you just never know what they're going to do. You just don't. No idea what's going to go on in their brain at some time, and they'll just make a decision to leave the place that they're supposed to be at. So having those conversations before, I mean, and every single time you drop your child off, you need to say, you stay here until I pick you up. <laughs> So, yeah, that, right. that little story just reminded me of that. Because I'm sure that mm. my granddaughter isn't the only one that's done that. <laughs> right. Oh, little Sophia. That's like my grandbaby. <laughs> I don't know how we never how caught that before. Interesting. It's been, yeah. been a while. How, long is, how old is your grandbaby? Uh, Sophia is five. She's five. Yeah. How old is your granddaughter, Sophia? Yeah, she's 10. She's a 10-year-old. Oh. Yeah, she'll be 11 at the end of August. She'll turn 11. And then my grandson will turn 12 in October. It's, today we were just talking about that when they were all over. And um, I said, so you guys are the same age for two months. <laughs> And, uh, you know, of course, my grandson likes being older. <laughs> he likes being older? Yeah. <laughs> They're in the same grade, but he's older. <laughs> uh, Which, it was kind of the same way with my, well, my, her mom, Sophia's mom, started her birthday with September 3rd. And so she made it in on that cutoff. I think in, in our area it was September 15th was the cutoff. Oh, that's and so she made it in. Yeah, and so she made it in that first year, so she was always one of the youngest as she was growing up in her class. And um, and then my my second daughter is April, so she was just like right about perfect, <laughs> perfect timing, you know. And, um, and my son was in October, so then he had to wait a whole year, so he was one of the older ones in the, his class. As he was growing up. Wow, so cool. I mean, I mean, it. I, I kind of liked having my son because I knew that he was responsible, and so when, for instance, my daughter had, um, she met her boyfriend when she was fourteen. He was fifteen, so of course he started driving earlier than she could. And I felt, you know, I would have preferred to have Nicole driving probably in those situations because I knew, you know, once we taught them how to drive, I knew that they were safe. And I don't know. It was just the same with me. Nicole was always asking me to go with other friends because all her friends would, drive, you know, drove a year before she did. So I was always in that position of going, oh, I don't want you to go with other teenagers. And it, they did start to pass some laws, I think, too, 
but I think that she, the laws weren't quite all into effect by the time that she had gotten hers. I don't think that, I think maybe she could, well, they could drive with siblings no matter what. So they don't have, or maybe they have to wait a couple months and then they can drive with their siblings, but they can't drive with like more than one friend or they can't drive with a friend at all for the first year. I think by the time my son was got his license, he couldn't drive with he couldn't drive anybody around like for the first year, and then after the first year, it could be one person, and then of course when you're 18, you can do whatever you want. But they they're trying to restrict it a little bit in Colorado anyway, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how I got on that, but <laughs> great. <laughs> okay. Gray history. Gray history. All right. So, um, all right. So, can I share another one that I have in my uh, little notes thing for um, ages nine and ten? It said um, review family safety rules and go into more detail about privacy, different types of touches, and how to recognize behavior that makes them uncomfortable. At this age, your child may spend more time away from you at friends, homes, or activities. And they may also spend more time online without your supervision. Know your child, spend time, um, know your child, no, I'm sorry, know who your child spends time with, Include coaches, music instructors, and friends, older siblings, all of that. So, yeah, like we said, you know, not all abuse of um, not all abuse involves touching. It's not okay for someone to show you their private body parts or ask to see yours in person or online. Uh, no one should take photos of your private body parts or show you photos of other people's private parts. And so, um, yeah, that's that's important. You know, like, I guess we, we're having the big girl, big boy conversation when they start getting a little bit bigger, just talking straight up because now they're online, unsupervised. It's not like we're in the room with them. You know, now they're asking to go over to their friend's house and spend the night. The friends may have cousins, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, whoever in the house, and, you know, we have to just kind of have just a straight-up talk. Once they start getting a little bigger, the, the talk got to get a little bigger, more in-depth. But, you know, really, by the time that they're eight years old, they're going to start hearing and talking about sex at school. Kids will start mm-hmm. talking about it. And maybe even younger, unfortunately, if, if there is some trauma going on in somebody's life. But, um but yeah, talking to them also about you know a sperm and an egg form a human, and how incredible it is that you don't have to tell them all of the details. You know, <laughs> you could just say, and and they'll understand that. You know, a man and a woman um, mm-hmm. make a make a human. So, so you know, when mm-hmm. they're little, tiny, you always what the like that. But by the time they're like age eight, they're ready to 
to hear it because if you don't talk to them about it mm. in an appropriate way that is, you know, filled with truth and not just guessing, then um, you you need to talk to them by the way by the age of eight because they're going to start hearing other people talking about it, other kids talking about it at school. And um, you want them to have the best information, you know, the right information. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I also was reading about the importance of um, words that we need to teach our, our kids as they start getting a little older. Um, they said that it was estimated that 36% of offenders are older children or teenagers. So it's really critical pretty much that we explain to them and talk to them about personal boundaries and what consent is because, um, you know, they may think that uh, a little boy may think that a little girl's consenting and she's not, and then they're, you know, they can get in a lot of trouble. And so as they're starting to get a little older, it's important to have conversations, excuse me, <laughs> conversations around, you know, what assault is, what is, what is considered assault, sexual assault, is any unconsensual sexual act described um, by federal, trivial, or state law, including when the victim lacks capacity to consent. Even unwelcome sexual gestures can sometimes be interpreted as assault. So that's, that's big because they wouldn't even know that. Yeah, unwanted sexual gestures can be considered as assault, um, as well as having sex with people who are under the influence of alcohol or drugs. A lot of teenagers are doing that and have done that in the past. They're like, you know, out with their friends and they're drinking and the girl passes out and then they have sex with her because she's like half awake and half not. Then she wakes up and it's a real big serious situation where, you know, maybe he was drunk too, she was drunk too. And, you know, who knows, you know, they probably both don't remember it. And, um, and so, it could turn into just a really bad situation. So even if you teach the young boys or young ladies that, make sure you say, are you sure? You okay? And if they're not okay and they're not coherent, don't go there, you know? But these are things that these young kids, when they're partying, they're, a lot of them are coming across this. I hear this a lot. You know, explain to them what child sexual abuse is. You know, because different states have different definitions, and, and it may vary from state to state. Uh, but just even having the conversation in the general term, you know, with sex, sexual abuse, uh, child sexual abuse, what it includes, you know. So that's like any activity with a minor to meet the offender's sexual needs. Uh, so that's what makes it child sexual abuse. Um, it does not have to be physical. It can be looking, showing and, and, you know, you talked about that in the past, you know, even showing them a pornographic magazine or movie, touching, all of that sexual child abuse when it's uh, someone that is young, uh, that is younger, excuse me, and not of legal age. And then, um, you know, the consent, the legal definition, again, for state to state, it may vary again, you know, but what it generally means is um, freely given permission 
or agreeing to do something, you know. So you have to consent, you know, and if the consent's not there, then that means that, um, you know, pretty much they're uh, violating that person's rights because the person did not give their consent. And they must be clear to say yes. Like, you know, what uh, what I was saying earlier, if the person's incoherent, they're drunk, and you're like, hey, you sure you want to do this? And the good person's like, yeah. No. The, she did not say, yes, I want to do this, with her eyes wide open, looking at you like, yes, let's do it. No, she's drunk. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you just want to do that. And then um, – I just said the two more things. I just want to mention that, like, the sex thing, because a lot of the teenagers are doing that. So, like, sharing nude pictures or suggest, mm-hmm. suggestive um, content online via mobile, you know, um, that's known as sexting. So, online or or mobile is sexting, even though it's not through text only, but even if it's through um, the online. Um, and that's illegal, you know, for minors. And, um, and in some states, even for consenting adults as well, especially if the consent, consenting adults complain because now you're showing it to other people, right? You're sharing uh, this, the nutrients or the suggest, suggestive um, content. Uh, and then um, trafficking. Um, that's another word that, you know, we want to make our children aware. I had this young girl tell me a couple of months back that she um, – Excuse me, you guys. Oh, excuse me. You know, I had a long day. As soon as I hang up, I'm going to be out. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, this is a serious conversation at that, but um, I was laughing at myself. So the trafficking, um, you know, uh, this young lady was telling me that she was walking down the street. It was um, uh, the inner city, uh, not too safe of an area, and a big white truck pulled up and then, you know, was kind of following her. And she had, she ended up hiding behind a car and hiding her body behind a tire because she was scared that this person was going to kidnap her. I mean, it was just really scary. But, I mean, some of these kids, they're paying mm-hmm. attention. They're seeing. So um, um, a lot of kids that are underage, under the age of 18, and they're being sold for, you know, the purpose of sex so that they can engage in sex for return, um, in return of, for shelter and for food and things like that. Um, and so the average age of a child that's exploited is 14 years old, okay? And the um, average uh, age that an exploited child first seeks services or um, help is 16. So there are a lot of times these kids are missing and, um, and there's traffic and they're 14 years old and they're living for like, two, three years, this horrible life of abuse, and they don't even know how to ask for help. So nobody's noticing they're not in school, depending on what country they're from or what state. They're not even, you know, registered. It's a lot. It's very, very scary, scary. But um, those terms, you know, as our kids get older, we have to educate them with these big terms because they're serious and they're happening every day. Yeah, and who who even knows what else is going to transpire and come up, you know, in the next few years. I I don't know. 
I always think that there can't be anything else that could be invented. Hasn't everything been invented? <laughs> but um, I'm sure that traffickers and things like that are going to continue to find new ways to get to the children and to people. And when you were talking a few minutes ago, too, about the whole consent, I was thinking about a little bit about my story, and I shared a little bit here when I was five years old. And, um, and a, a, a neighborhood boy had gotten me in the closet, and he had his pants off and, or down or something, and he was, you know, fully showing, showing me there what was, what was going on and um, wanted me to touch him. I remember him trying to get me to touch him, and I didn't want to. And so I knew enough in my mind that I didn't want to touch him. I didn't want to be doing this. And then I always thought of him as being a lot older because I was five, and I used to think he was a teenager, and that's what I, most of my life, like if I would explain this story to somebody, I would explain that he was a teenager. And then I found out later on in my, so that was just about probably 10 years ago or so, that he was only three years older than me. So, I mean, he was probably right on that cusp of it could have been consensual if I had wanted to, you know, but I was still five years old. So it shouldn't have been happening anyway. However, there are, I, I guess what I'm saying is that kids also experiment and there's a difference. You know, I didn't realize at the time that that was, experimenting or abuse, I just knew I didn't want to be in that space at that time, and so I wanted to leave. But, um, so that was a consenting, you know. And so if, if you don't know, and then I didn't necessarily know, like I said, what to do or what to say, I just know I didn't want to be in that space, and so I ran away. But I've been seeing my friend being abused at that time, the same time. Um, in my five-year-old mind, I thought that it was, that I just wasn't mature enough because I had never been told about consent or abuse or, you know, sexuality in any way. And I think at five years old, it would be kind of hard to, but I think if, you know, having those conversations of just your body parts and, you know, what is safe and not safe and, and how you feel, and if you don't feel good about it, then you make a move um, without having that skill, then who knows you know, what a child in that situation might end up doing. And unfortunately, you know, my, my friend, who, um, of course, was being abused by another cousin, by the, the brother, um, she, you know, she had just been abused for so long. So it wasn't even that... In my mind, I thought, well, she must be mature enough that she's doing this. It wasn't about that, even. It was about the fact that it was just something that she was so accustomed to, the abuse part of it. And um, unfortunately, it made it seem like it was something that, in a five-year-old mind, that, that she wanted her, that, you know, she was enjoying. Mm. Um, so I think that's a good example of why you have to talk to your kids about what's going on and then give them those, you know, good examples 
the examples of good touch and the examples of bad touch. You never know what where their mind is going to wander to <laughs> if you don't tell right. them exactly what's going on. Well, and be honest. And some and some of these kids, you have you can't help but to wonder where did they learn that behavior from? Did somebody do that for them? Do they need help? You know, and support oh, yeah. why this young and it's early like what who introduced them to it was it just the curiosity because that sometimes is just the curiosity and then sometimes there's right. someone else that it's about because i mean it's curious like what is that what's that thing hanging oh my god that's a boy boy's got that and i don't got that yeah you know so it's a curiosity thing right. she's always trying to look and they, their eyes open like oh shoot i know i remember my granddaughter the first time you know we had to change um, my grandson, she was like, oh, he has, uh, uh, you know, it was confusing to her, right? Uh, she had never seen one. Uh, and so she had never seen one. So uh, it was very, very, very confusing. And I could see her face kind of like, what? You know? But, um, right. So, I mean, just figuring out, like, what was the root of it, where it's coming from, because you need to do now follow-up. You need to do some follow-up work. Do they need some support, you know, if they were introduced to it by an adult or abused themselves? Yeah. Yeah, which I, I, I probably, I would assume they probably were just well. Because my friend was abused by her uncle. So, I mean, it would be, yeah. Mm. Probably, most likely they were abused. And that's where she was. The behavior and then, you know, where they learned the behavior and then, when you are being abused in that way, you will look for ways to take back your power. Because you know you can't do it with that person that's abusing you. You know you have no power with them. And so, you know, a lot of times it ends up being a younger child who mm. they can control, you know. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it could have, even in my, my situation, that's why I was explaining, it could have been a consensual thing, even at five years old, because kids are curious. But um, the other thing is just be aware, you know, if, if the children that are exploring, so if you, you know, accidentally find that two children are exploring and they're just within a couple years of each other, then that's probably just normal curiosity, and they are exploring together. But now if you find, you know, one child, maybe they're even the same age, that is very aggressive, like I experienced, that was more of an aggressive behavior. It wasn't, it didn't feel consensual to be, and um, even at five years old. And so, so yeah, I think we had a conversation tonight. <laughs> Thank you very well. Thank you for being a part of it. <laughs> yes, that was a pleasure to do a show with you. I think uh, it was a great topic. Thank you for picking that topic. Um, it's a very important topic. And, I, again, the more we talk about it, the more we can become a, a stronger nation and more educated community. And the more we can help protect our children and keep them safe. Absolutely. And that's what we want to do help to keep the kids safe. We need to do the whole prevention thing now and um, start seeing how that affects our next generation. So thank you again for being on Dr. Nancy and for Philip for popping on with us. And as we always say, if you um, see something, 
please say something. There's enough people, adults in this world that can be watching out for children. So we need to be that place for them. Good night, everyone. Have a good evening. Good night. Good night.